near the end of the movie Avengers Infinity War, all of the Avengers are fighting with Thanos, each of them taking turns, uh, striking blows on Thanos. And uh, at this point, Thanos has gotten four of the five Infinity Stones. He needs five to complete the Infinity Gauntlet and to have the power to be able to erase half of the universe. And in one scene, uh, he is about to kill Tony Stark's Iron Man until Doctor Strange steps in and says, Stop. Spare his life, and I'll give you the stone. And so Thanos spares Tony, and, and Doctor Strange gives him the last Infinity Stone. He puts it in the Infinity Gauntlet, and then he disappears. And then Tony turns to Doctor Strange and says, why would you do that? And Doctor Strange says, we're in the end game now. You know, when religious people talk about the end times or the last days, uh, they, they typically mean by that a time when spiritual conflict is intensified. When natural disasters are interpreted as being signs of God's coming judgment. When wars and rumors of wars are a signal that the end is near, and so you'd better get ready. But, as long as the end times are in the future, everything's fine, right? Nothing to worry about. Life can go on as normal. We don't have to... We don't have to panic about anything or think about the death or the afterlife. But what if? What if we're already in the end times? What if the end game has already started? Well, if you're able, would you please stand? We're going to read from Acts chapter 2. We, uh, by a quirk of scheduling, we're going back... Uh, a little bit in, uh, in Acts chapter 2. Last, last week we looked at the end of the chapter, but this week we're going to look at Peter's sermon at Pentecost. Um, if you haven't been with us, if you've never read the book of Acts, Pentecost is the day that comes. Right after Jesus, Jesus died, uh, was, res- was resurrected, and then he ascended, and he spent 40 days with his followers, and then he ascended into heaven. And then There was a day when all of uh, the disciples and many other people were together in Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit came with power upon them. And their tongues of fire rested on them. And they began to speak in different tongues. Now some of the people looking, obviously, were, were amazed. Some were incredulous. Some thought it was a joke. Some thought they were drunk. And so Peter gets up, beginning of verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood 
before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. This is God's word for God's people and for the good of the world. Please be seated. What in the world happened to Peter? In the space of just a month and a half, Peter went from being a sniveling coward who denied that he even knew Jesus three different times to being a man who would stand up in front of a huge crowd of people and preach a fiery sermon telling them that they had crucified the Son of God and that they needed to repent. What what happened that he changed so much in so short a period of time? Well, the resurrection happened. That's what. Jesus rose from the grave, and everything changed. And he gave his followers new hope. He, he came and he met with Peter and restored their relationship. He commissioned the apostles to preach the gospel and to lead the church. And then he gave them the gift of the Holy Spirit. And at some point, Peter realized an amazing truth, that the resurrection didn't just change his life, but that the resurrection changed everyone's life. Peter realized that the resurrection ushers in the final stage of human history. Now, this is the second sermon out of about 15 in the book of Acts. A lot of sermons in this book. And almost every single one of them mentions the resurrection of Christ, which tells us, well, hopefully we already know, that this is the resurrection is a core tenet of the Christian faith and ought to be a central part of Christian preaching. Now, the apostles knew that the resurrection was a fantastic claim. I mean, that it's, it's crazy to say that someone has died and come back to life. And yet, besides Paul, every single one of them was there. They were all eyewitnesses. They had touched his hands and his side where the scars were. And they had seen that Jesus was real. They knew the resurrection had happened. And then they realized that the resurrection was not just a quirk of history, but that it was the start, it was the dawn of a new and final stage of human history. Look at verse 17. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. By quoting this verse, 
from the Old Testament, Peter is saying, we're in the last days. This is it. With the coming of the Spirit, this is the last days. We're in the last days. Have you ever been, you ever seen someone in a downtown area or maybe sitting on the, a sidewalk, standing on a sidewalk with a sign, the end is near? Now, I don't necessarily encourage you to engage with them, but you can actually agree with them. That's true. Because according to Peter, the last days are here. They started with the coming of Christ and the the first coming of Christ and the resurrection. And they will last until the second coming of Christ, until he returns. Now, there are a lot of people who claim to be end times experts, right? And they have their charts and uh, showing when certain prophecies in the Bible are going to come true. And they, they try to match the figures and the, the timelines in, in Daniel and Revelation and try to figure out what events go with what. You know, was this World War II or was this 9-11? And is Russia Gog and Magog? And, uh, you know, when will the thousand-year tribulation happen? And... Uh, Listen, we're not gonna, this is not going to be an eschatology lecture this morning. And if you have your charts and you're trying to figure it out, that's fine. But we have to recognize, at very least, that a lot of eschatology, end time study, is speculation and guesswork. Right? Because it often changes over time. You know, is, is the Antichrist Nero, or is it Saddam Hussein, or Putin? You know, what was, was it World War II or was it the Iraq invasion? What is it that's telling us the end times? And the signaling these things are happening. But here's, here's what I really want you to know. Is that you don't have to be an expert on the timelines and the symbols and on eschatology. The big thing you need to know is that we're in the last days. And that Jesus could return at any time. Now the obvious question is, when? When is Jesus going to return? And the answer to that is, no one knows. (laughs) Jesus tells us, no one knows the day or the hour, not even the Son of Man. Now a lot of people have purported to know, right? William Miller said Jesus is going to return in 1844. Nope. Uh, Hal Lindsey says it's going to be 1988. Nope. Harold Camping, 2011. That didn't happen either. But one thing is sure, he will return. He will return. The end will come. And actually, rather than that being a bad thing, we ought to see it as a good thing because that's the way that the biblical writers see it. In fact, the Bible ends with a plea for Jesus' return. The the second to last verse in the Bible, in Revelation 22, says this. says, come, it says, amen, come, Lord Jesus. You think, why? Why should we be so eager for Jesus to return? Why should we be so eager for this life to be over and the next life to begin? Well, The answer is because of what lies ahead of us. Not only will there be no more sorrow, no more 
sin, no more death. But as Ricky's been talking about, we will finally get to experience what the Bible says is our great hope, that God himself will dwell with man, and we will see him face to face. We will be with him in the new heavens and the new earth. As believers in Christ, we should want Jesus to return. We should pray for his return. And Peter shows us how the prophets of the Old Testament, they looked forward to this time. They looked forward with anticipation and hope, not only to the last days, but to the new heavens and the new earth. If you read through all the sermons in Acts, you recognize that basically everything the apostles are saying, and so much of what Jesus taught as well, comes from what? The Old Testament. The Old Testament. The Bible that they had to read. And the reason for that is because the Bible is one book with one message. There's a unity of it. The whole thing from Genesis 1 through Revelation 22 is all about God's plan to create a world and redeem a people for himself through the work of the Messiah Jesus. Ephesians 1.4 says that God chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Which tells us God had a plan. That your, your becoming a Christian was not an accident. And then here in Peter's sermon, verse 23, he says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Again, human history is not proceeding according to chance. It is all proceeding according to God's plan. And one of the things you see the more you read the Bible is that the Old Testament prophets were prophesying about Jesus. Even though they didn't necessarily know his name, didn't necessarily know all the circumstances around his, his life and his death, but they were prophesying about him. And they were, the reason they were able to is because God was inspiring them. And God had, since God had a plan, that plan was being communicated through his mouthpieces, through his prophets. The prophet Joel lived 500 years before Christ. And he prophesied some pretty amazing things that Peter quotes here in verse 17 to 20. He says that God's spirit will be poured out. Uh, on all kinds of people. All kinds of people have prophetic visions. And then the sun will turn dark. The moon will turn to blood. And because of all of those things, people will come to know God and to be saved. And Peter says, guess what? That prophecy of Joel's 500 years ago is being fulfilled today. Here at Pentecost, we are experiencing it we are the fulfillment. Scripture is being fulfilled even as we speak. Now, the interesting thing about what he's saying is that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit uh, is mentioned primarily when he gives certain people certain abilities uh, to, to serve the community of Israel. Right? We read about how the Holy Spirit came upon Saul to prophesy and came upon different prophets at different times. 
And in Exodus, the Holy Spirit enabled the craftsmen to build the tabernacle. And at different times, he gives judges and kings the ability to defend God's people and to administer justice. And the sense we get in the Old Testament is that the Holy Spirit comes and goes. He indwells a prophet here and a king there. But never for too long. But with Pentecost, now the Holy Spirit is not just given to some believers. The Holy Spirit is given to every believer. And when he comes to a believer, he stays. He doesn't come and go. He stays. He's with you. In our church, we only have one baptism. A baptism of, that signals fellowship with God, inclusion in the body of Christ. And it also signals the coming of the Holy Spirit. There are some churches that have two baptisms, one for salvation, one for sort of an extraordinary movement of the Holy Spirit. But we only have one because we believe when you get salvation, you get the Spirit, you get all of Him, and all of His power is available to you. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. And the prophets foresaw this greater ministry of the Spirit happening hundreds of years before it did. But it wasn't just the prophets who saw this future age. It was also a king. The great king looked forward to the reign of the true and final king. Now the word Camelot, uh, it evokes, it's kind of shorthand for the idea of utopia, a time of an ideal time and place. And Camelot evokes the reign of King Arthur, who was a benevolent, wise king who ruled over England in a, in a time of great prosperity and peace. But a thousand years before Christ came, uh, Israel had a king who also reigned in a time of great prosperity and peace. And he was considered the greatest king of all the kings of Israel. And the king, of course, was King David. But David knew, even in his lifetime, even a thousand years before Christ, that a greater king was going to come than him. And he knew that this king would not just rule over the land, but would rule over our hearts. That this king would not just... Uh, give us freedom from invading armies, but would give us freedom from sin and death. And twice Peter shows how David acknowledged this man who is greater than him. In verses 25 to 27, he quotes David in Psalm 168. This is for David says concerning him, concerning Jesus. I saw the Lord always before me. For he's at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. Now this is fascinating what, da what Peter is saying. What he's saying that David said. Because he's saying that David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. And that since Christ rose from the grave, that he did not, he was not abandoned to Hades, which is the Old Testament word for hell. He didn't stay in the grave. That David 
therefore is certain that he himself will also not be left in the grave, and that he will rise again. So this is, this is the beauty of Jesus' resurrection. That is not just a one-time thing, but it's the first of many. That because Jesus rose from the grave, if you are trusting in him, you too will rise from death to life. And then in verses 34 and 35, which we didn't read this part, but it's a little further down. Peter quotes David in Psalm 110. He says this, For David did not ascend into the heavens, as Jesus did, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now, as a king, David was used to people calling him my Lord, right? My Lord, I serve at your pleasure. My Lord, what... What do you command? My Lord, as you wish. Right? And yet David, here he shows that there is not only one Lord that's greater than him, but two. God the Father and God the Son. And the Father said to the Son after he had died, risen, and ascended into heaven, he said, sit here at my right hand, that I might make your enemies your footstool. David saw that. He saw what true power was. And then when Jesus ascended to heaven, he was given all power over all creation and over all of God's enemies. Isn't that amazing? David, through, through the work of the Holy Spirit, foresaw the, not only the ascension of Christ, but the inner workings of the Trinity. And all of these amazing things that Jesus would do. And they shaped his view of everything. His view of himself, his view of his kingdom, his view of God, his view of the future. Shaped everything about him. But what about us? David lived before these amazing things happened. We live after it. We know even more than David did about the coming of Christ and the work of Christ on our behalf. Does this shape us? Because if there's one thing that the resurrection demands, it demands a response. And verse 37 tells us the reaction to Peter's sermon. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brother, what shall we do? He realized that Evidence demands a verdict. Resurrection demands a response from you and from all people. And Peter's answer was what? Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So your sins will be forgiven and you receive the Holy Spirit. Repent. What is repentance? Repentance is two things. It is first, turning away from your sin, turning away from your, the ways that you are trying to make your life work without God, and turning in the exact opposite direction to God, turning to Jesus in faith and following him. That's what repentance is. He says, repent, turn away, turn to God, and then be baptized. Join the new community of the body of Christ. Join the new mission 
that God has begun through Jesus and through his church. Let me ask you a question. If you knew that you were going to die one year from today, how would your life change? Would you do anything different? Would you start living differently? Would you start prioritizing different things? Would you make sure to go and reconcile with certain people? And a bigger question even than that is, how do you want your story in this life to be written? What do you want it to be said of you in heaven? That you watched a lot of good television, mastered some video games, made a lot of money, had a good reputation, or that you walked with God, that you fulfilled His purpose for your life. Maybe you need to repent for the first time. Turn your life over to Jesus, knowing that He is the only one who can forgive your sins and give you eternal life. But maybe you have already done that. Maybe what you need to do is repent for the way that you've been living recently. Maybe you've been living only for yourself and not out of love for God and for your neighbor. Friends, today, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to repent and to begin living in the hope of the resurrection because we are not guaranteed next year. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Somehow in modern Western thinking, we have this expectation that we are somehow owed a good long life and that it is a tragedy. It's not fair if we don't live to be at least 80 years old. But the truth is, we're not owed anything. Death can come at any moment, and Peter tells us, so can Jesus. In these last days, he could come at any moment like a thief in the knife. Night, Jesus says. No one knows the day or the hour when he will come, but when he does, will you be ready? Let's pray. Father, we, we recognize that you are the one who has written the story of the world, the story of history. And that you are working out your purposes. And you are sovereign over all things. And that gives us such encouragement that life is not a series of cosmic accidents. But that you are in control. And so we trust you. Because you are good and you are to be trusted. But Father, we also recognize that the gospel demands a response from us, the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection demands that we either live with him, we are either with him or we are against him. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to take stock of our lives in the way that we are living, whether we are living according to your 
promises and according to your call for us, or whether we are not. And Father, in these next few moments, as we sit silently, may we commit to living according to how you would want us to live. Amen.